which is small. Let me flee to it. It is very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. He said to him, Very well. I will grant, will grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town was called Zoar. By the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulphur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the city and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah, towards all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land, like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Lot and his two daughters left Zoar and settled in the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zoar. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. One day, the elder daughter said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man round here to give us children, as the custom all over the earth. Let, let's get our father to drink wine and then sleep with him and preserve our family line through our father. That night they got their father to drink wine, and the elder daughter went in and slept with him. He was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. The next day the elder daughter said to the younger, Last night I slept with my father. Let's get him to drink wine again tonight, and you go in and sleep with him, so we can preserve our family line through our father. So they got their father to drink wine that night also, and the younger daughter went in and slept with him. Again, he was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. The elder daughter had a son, and she named him Moab, he is the father of the Moabites of today. The younger daughter also had a son, and she named him Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites of today. This is Hamburg, July 1943, that picture uh, we've got up there. Uh, and the reason for putting it up there was that this was uh, recorded as one of the heaviest uh, bombing raids of the Second World War uh, to date. And it was a, it was a terrible event. It was the first time, apparently, the RAF had set out to destroy an entire city. Uh, and the bombing went on for several days. And at the end of it, uh, they had killed 40,000 people. Uh, and they'd injured another 40,000. And it was a... Um, some of the pictures are too awful to look at. That's a, an idea of the devastation. As I say, I'm not quite sure what's going to come up next, actually. So here we go. Uh, that's a picture of some of the devastation. Uh, and the code name the RAF gave this operation, the code name they gave it, was Operation Gomorrah. Which is interesting, because the reason they gave it that code name is they said, we want to utterly destroy a people who are following an evil regime. And, uh, and we want to do that as an example to the rest of the country so that they won't carry on following uh, that same that same idea, that, that same uh, way of thinking. And Operation Gomorrah is very similar in terms of what was going on 
to what we've just been reading uh, in Genesis 19. So if you've closed your Bible, good chance to open it up again. Uh, we are looking uh, at a page at Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 19, and it's on page 19. And our first question, we've really only got two questions tonight. Uh, and the first one is, what happened to Sodom and why? What happened to Sodom and why? And if you look at verse 24, it's pretty clear what happened to Sodom, and I guess we all know. And verse 24 says, God rained down sulfur and fire on the cities. So it wasn't just Sodom, there were other cities as well. But God rained down fire and sulfur on those cities, and he completely destroyed them. He destroyed the cities, and he destroyed the vegetation, and he destroyed the men, and the women, and the children, and the animals, and everything. It was utter destruction. And sometimes, I think, when we come across passages like that, and certainly when I talk to folk, um, they will start saying, yeah, but... That's Old Testament stuff, isn't it? We're right at the beginning of the Bible there. This is how God works uh, in the Old Testament. And if you're a Christian, you don't believe that sort of stuff, do you? Surely uh, what we believe in is Jesus and, 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 and the New Testament. And this picture of God isn't my picture of God at all. And I think you would find that as quite a common view uh, if you talk to folk about, about this sort of stuff. Can I just say that is a really fundamental misunderstanding about the nature of our God. It's the same God in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and he does not change. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were all involved there at the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. You can't, you can't take the Bible. I'll borrow James's. Can I just borrow your Bible for a second? Thank you very much. Imagine you can't take James's Bible, which he doesn't need anymore, and sort of rip it in half like that and say, there you are, James, you can keep the New Testament, but we don't need the Old Testament anymore because it's got this idea of God doing awful things and judging. So we'll, we'll get rid of that. I'll get you another one. That isn't, that isn't the message of the Bible at all. So please don't pigeonhole this passage into some sort of uh, Old Testament area and say, no, we worship Jesus, it's completely different. Because the fact is, things are different. When Jesus uh, came, walked on this planet, things did change, but God is still a God of judgment. And that is very uncomfortable. I was talking with a group the other other day, and they said, I can't accept that God judges. Well, God does judge. That's exactly what you're seeing uh, in, in Sodom. And you see it right through the Bible. You could pick endless verses. Uh, one I jotted down, Romans 14. Everyone, Paul says, will stand before the judgment seat of God. So if you like, the first thing that's happening here is we see God Judging, and that is God's part of God's nature. It's not just Old Testament. That is runs right the way through the Bible. So the question then is not so much what is happening here, but perhaps why is it happening? What is it that God is judging? 
Well, we get the answer actually much later. You, you get the answer in the book of Peter, 2 Peter 2, um, where God says, where Peter says, God is judging a people who have decided to live without him. In fact, Peter describes them as lawless, and he doesn't mean they didn't have laws and regulations because Sodom was a trading town. They must have had ways of doing things, but they lived with no regard to God. It was a, a godless society. And we get another little insight into that in Ezekiel uh, 1649, if you're jotting down verses. And, and Ezekiel says that the people of Sodom were arrogant, overfed, and selfish. Probably think of quite a few people you might think like that. Arrogant, overfed, and selfish. From Ezekiel's point of view, and Isaiah says a similar sort of thing, the people of Sodom seem to worship anything but God. It was a people who decided to live just their own way. They might have been sophisticated, they might have been clever, Sodom actually must have been quite a good place to live. Lot chose to go there. There were people living there in, in community. But they had no regard, they had no concept of God. Now our God, we know from how he revealed himself through scripture, our God is a faithful God. He's a God who wants to protect us, he wants to, to love us. But if we choose to say, well, actually, God, we're not interested in a relationship with you. We're not interested in your love. We're not interested in your protection. Well, then we cut ourselves off from that, don't we? And what you're seeing in Sodom is a picture of what happens when you do that. When you decide to walk away from God's love, when you decide to reject his protection, then inevitably destruction will follow. Um, and again, if you're jotting down verses, lots of verses you could uh, look at. Exodus 25, uh, as the Ten Commandments are given, God says, look, I bless those for many, many generations, but those who reject me, I will reject. And you get that idea of blessing and rejection. So those are the consequences we're seeing out uh, played here in, in Sodom. Rejection of God is leading to the people's destruction. And of course, right in the middle of this passage we've just read, and it's a difficult passage to read, so well done, Sarah. Verses 4 to 9, we've got this infamous passage of the, uh, the gang rape and the mob uh, turning up uh, to, to rape these two messengers who have come to town. Um, but that is never ascribed as the particular reason for Sodom's destruction. That is, if you like, the presenting factor. It's the last straw. In fact, I almost wonder whether it was almost there to bring Lot to his senses. Almost a lot to realize, to say, do you realize that you are living in such a godless society, one that has no regard at all to God's laws? So Sodom destroyed, and this is rather graphic picture here, simply because it was wicked, it had no regard to God, and as an example to all of us, that that is the fate that comes to everybody who doesn't follow and trust in God. And that's really grim and rather depressing and not the sort of the barrel of laughs you necessarily want on a, on a, on a Sunday evening. But that is the human condition. And that is Hove. And those Hove beachfront, seafront, very nice. 
But the folk that we live around and the society we live in and our friends at work and at college and at school or wherever, they are in that same position, aren't they? So many of them living without any regard to God in their life. Just ordinary people uh, living their ordinary lives. And we forget, I think, because life is so ordinary, but we forget. Sounds like something's taking off here. Does it matter? Is that your keyboard, James? Hmm. Sounds like sort of sulfur bubbling in the background, which is just <laughs> worrying me slightly. But we forget, don't we, because life is so ordinary, what an awful thing a godless life is in God's eyes and, and, and what it will mean. And Jesus talks about it too. He says, um, you know, the people in Sodom, they were just living their ordinary lives. They, he says they were eating, drinking, getting married and building. They were investing in a future they were never going to have. And they were never going to have that because they had rejected God. The people doing the school run you meet, the people who are doing shopping, the people in the co-op in Waitrose or whatever, living their ordinary lives, but with no reference to God. And that's Lot's society. It's ours too, and it's a dangerous place to be because we're going to see it affected Lot. But the message of the Old Testament and the message of the New Testament is the same. What happens to Sodom, that destruction that awaits those who reject God, has not changed. It's definitely getting louder. <laughs> so, what happened to Sodom? Oh, crumbs. I'm going. Um, there we are. It was destroyed because they chose a godless uh, existence. And that should say two things to us, shouldn't it? It should say, firstly, if we don't have that personal relationship with God, then we need to do something about it because we're in a dangerous place. And the second thing it says to us is that we need to be telling folk, we need to be warning folk. Uh, I think the plan is for us to be running an alpha course in the autumn, a great opportunity for saying to people, come and listen to the good news that gives you the opportunity to avoid uh, that destruction because you can be saved. And that, of course, uh, takes us on to Lot. Now, what happened to Lot? Oh, now, this is Sodom after it was destroyed. That actually is probably the area where Sodom was, somewhere like that, just round by the Dead Sea, uh, and that is what's, that is what's left. Um, well, what happened to Lot? Well, in some ways, that's easy, isn't it? Because Lot was rescued. I don't know what my slides are going to do here. It should be that one. Oh, there we are. That's good. So Lot was rescued. Look at verse 1. And if you can see in verse 1, the two messengers arrive in, in Sodom, don't they? But they haven't arrived to destroy the city. God's already told Abraham and made clear in earlier chapters that Sodom is going to be destroyed because of its wickedness. And we've seen that, if you've been here in, in earlier services, you've seen that in, in previous chapters. But the other thing in those earlier chapters is we've seen God doing something new. Because God has revealed himself to Abraham, and he's made a promise to Abraham, Genesis 15, that Abraham's descendants will become a mighty nation. And through the course of time and through the course of many generations, that translates uh, into Jesus dying for us, Jesus dying for us on the cross, and us trusting in Jesus and becoming part of God's family, and if you like, one of Abraham's descendants. 
Um, this whole series of chapters we're looking at is really the start of a whole new route map, a whole new uh, movement of God that will lead us through the Old Testament to Jesus walking this earth and taking the punishment that we deserve uh, so that we can then trust in him and be saved. And that is God's rescue mission for us today. And here, in this little passage in Genesis, uh, at the beginning of that story, if you like, uh, we have this dramatic illustration of a rescue. And so back to verse 1, you look at these two men and say, really, what they come to Sodom to do is to rescue Lot. Because that's really all they do, isn't it? I mean, as soon as they arrive, uh, they get caught up in in this riot, don't they? Uh, By verse 16, uh, they're having to take Lot out of the situation because the mob have arrived outside the, the, uh, the, his house and they've begun to show Lot actually what a wicked and depraved uh, city he is living in. So by verse 16, Lot is being rescued. That's fairly clear. Much more difficult to answer though is if that's what happened to Lot, but why? Why was Lot saved? And if you think that's straightforward, just let's just run through how Lot behaves. And you can sort of mentally score for yourself, really, whether you think um, Lot deserves saving. So we meet him uh, at the beginning of the passage, verse 1. He's in the gates of the city. So he's standing in the gate uh, in the evening, and the gate of the city uh, is where the business would have been transacted. So Lot was something in business. And obviously he'd made a bit of money in the, in the past. He was a wealthy bloke. So there he is uh, at the city gate doing business. He's a, he's a member of the Brighton Chamber of Commerce or, or the Sodom, Sodom Chamber of Commerce or, or something like that. He's settled down. He's respectable. And then we see that he's married into it, hasn't he? He's got family there. They're settled down. So he's got used to the lifestyle. He's got a nice house. Uh, And it must have been very nice. You look at verse 26, that famous episode, that Lot's wife turns back. They've escaped the city. The trouble's already started. But Lot's wife still wants to go back. It was clearly a nice place to live. And then you look how Lot behaves. So verse 3, can you see he welcomes the strangers in? And you think, good, Lot, that's good. You're you're protecting these people. But then he gives them unleavened bread. It's like giving them a packet of crisps. You contrast that with how Abraham welcomed his visitors, where he gives them a big meal, doesn't he, and slaughters fatted calves and all those sorts of things. Um, These guys get a packet of crisps. And then the mob come, don't they? Uh, Verse 8, you've got that scene with a mob hammering at the door. They're trying to get at him, and they, 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 they want to rape these men. Uh, and, and the angels uh, blind the mob. And then, so Lot's been very brave, and you say, well done, Lot, for standing up to this mob. But then he seems to blow it all by saying, mm, not sure I trust God anymore. Would you like to rape my daughters instead? I mean, it's not exactly a sort of Father's Day message, this one, is it? But it's, it, it's, it's, it's not a good performance at that point, is it? I don't think anybody would say uh, that was a good choice. And then he's brave again. Verse 12, the messengers say to Lot, um, look, we're going to destroy this city. You can get the rest of your family out if you want to. Uh, go down and get as many people out as you can. 
And you think, Lot has just been barricaded in his house. He's been protected from this mob. And the angels, or these messengers, are saying, well, go back out there. And Lot does. And I think that's quite brave. I don't think I'd have done that. I said, no, thank you very much. Not after what they wanted to do. But he goes out, doesn't he? And he knocks on their doors and he, and he wakes up these relatives he's got around the town at the dead of night and says to them, look, the place is going to be destroyed. You need to get out. Uh, and you can see uh, their reaction there. Verse 14, uh, they think he was joking. So they don't take him seriously. Whatever authority he might have had as a chamber of commerce, he certainly didn't have authority as a prophet or a man of God at that point, did he? Because nobody took any notice of him at all. And then he's back. And in verse 16, now I don't know what um, uh, quite what word you got in your version, because I was using a slightly different version. Um, verse 16, have you got the word hesitate? Is that what he says he's doing? Because um, one of the versions I, I, I was reading said he lingered um, or he dithered. But goodness me, he's had enough warning, hasn't he? He's seen, he's seen these angels deal with his mob. Uh, maybe the smell of sulfur's already in the air. We don't know what's going on, do we? Uh, but it's clearly urgent, and he's dithering. You think, what are you dithering about, Lot? You need to get out of here. Why are you hanging around? He seems to trust more in the bricks and mortars and the stuff around him, doesn't he? He's feeling safer in the city than actually trusting in the people who've come to rescue him. So again, it's a, it's a mixed picture. And then he does leave the city. And he goes out, and, he, and, he's, and he's led out, and even then you think, okay, well done, Lot, you're, you're, you're on your way, that's the thing to do. And he says, oh, no, actually, there's a nice little city down there, just a little bit of wickedness. Would it be all right if I went down there instead? And you think, Lord, what are you playing at? You, you're being rescued, you're being taken up to the mountains. And Lot says, no, I'd rather go down there, please. And verse 6 tells us that the Lord was merciful. And that's why verse 20, when the men say, no, all right, you go down there. You go down to that little town and live there. And of course, then we see by verse uh, 33, he's too scared even to go there. So much for trusting in his rescuers. That's all gone out the window again. He's too scared to go down to the city. He ends up uh, in the mountains, living in a, a little cave, And you get this sad legacy at the end of the people of Moab and the people of Ammon who come from this incest. Uh, Two people who are going to end up hating Israel and standing against the Lord. And that is the end of Lot's story. You're never going to hear of him again in the Bible apart from reference back to this. Abraham, of course, we hear lots about, don't we? He goes on to to found that great nation becomes a father of a great nation, a source of great blessing. But Lot just disappears. He's gone. So you look at that track record and you say, well, okay, I don't get it. I can understand why Abraham might be saved and was righteous, but Lot, why was he saved? What's so special about Lot? And actually, you don't really get the answer until you dip into 2 Peter again. And Peter just makes this simple statement. And he says, Lot was righteous. And I think you look at that performance just now and you say, really? Was he? 
Is that what righteousness looks like? That sort of flip-flopping around, that sort of behavior? And I guess the problem is that we don't have... Whoops, there we are, flip-flops. We don't have the right idea of what righteousness is, do we? And I guess we associate righteousness with being very religious, turning up at church. Very good church, this one, by the way. I've got a number of friends at, uh, at work at the moment who just, well, they just come to the end of their fast for Ramadan, haven't they? That feels very, uh, very righteous, fasting all through Ramadan. But, you know, being religious, being good, being respectable, having a social conscience, all those things, none of those things put us right with God. That's not righteousness. You know, when Jesus uh, walks this earth, chapter, in Matthew chapter 11, he has a very simple command. He simply says, come to me. That's all he says. And it is simply responding to that that makes us righteous. It is simply listening to that call. And in fact, Jesus goes on and he says, do you know, the people of Sodom were treated better than people who reject my call. Because if we reject that call from Jesus, well, that's it for eternity. There's no turning back. When we trust in Jesus, we're right with God. When we reject him, we're condemned. Paul puts it another way. He says, trust in the Lord and you will be saved. And that's actually what Lot is doing. When those angels stretched out their hands, because they get so fed up with Lot's dithering, they reach out their hands and they grab them. There were two angels, aren't there? So I think they each reach out their hand like that. A couple have got the daughters, one's got Lot and his wife, and they're dragging them out. At the moment, that Lot held onto that hand. Well, that is, at that point, he was righteous. He may have been half-hearted, he may have been muddled, he may have got things terribly wrong, but the key to Lot's rescue is that he was righteous. And I think that's a great picture, because although it's a depressing and it's a miserable story, and you've got this idea of this, this flip-flopping around, actually it tells us that you know, sometimes we are going to get it wrong, and we do get it wrong. And you probably look back on the last week and think, actually, I didn't live for the Lord as I should have done. Now, there's nothing good about that. But the great thing is, you never need worry about your salvation. If you're trusting in God, if you've reached out your hand, held the Savior's hand, then you are safe and you are saved. And that's the great message of Lot's rather a miserable performance. But the thing is, and I just want to make this the last comment really, you can't leave Lot's life without reflecting a little bit uh, on that, that performance because he does flip-flop around, doesn't he, all the way through as we go through that, uh, that passage. He was clearly in two minds. And Peter again reflects that because Peter says that actually um, Lot was tormented. He was tormented by what was going on in Sodom. He wasn't enjoying life there. He was vexed in his spirit. And the fact is that we live in a world where we are probably vexed in our spirit, just as Lot was. There will be things we see and hear and do, well, not do, see and hear this week, that will upset us. There will be conversations we hear. There will be things we see on TV. And if we love the Lord Jesus, they will vex us. Now, Lot's response to all that 
seems to be just to go along with it, doesn't it? He seems to just settled in and let it go past. They say that Abraham is recorded as sticking up altars all over the place. Lot, there's no record of anything like that. He was involved in the business. He was just part of the furniture within Sodom. But we don't need to do that, and we shouldn't do that. We are called to be fruitful. And Jesus says, by your fruit you will be known. And endlessly talks, talks about people who invest in the right things, who look first to the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added to you. It seems to me that Lot did not look for the kingdom first, and therefore nothing was added to him. Three things that Lot did not have that we have, just as a, a closing thought, really. Three things that Lot could not make use of, but we are hugely privileged to have. And the first thing, of course, is the Bible, what they're studying at the moment. We have the Bible to help us. When we have decisions, when we have to work out which way to behave, when we've got to decide what we're going to be doing, Lot didn't have the scriptures available to him to guide us, but we do. Lot didn't have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is granted to us after Jesus returns, after Jesus has gone to heaven, hasn't he? But the Spirit is in each one of us to give us the power to make the right decisions, to discern ways to live. Lot didn't have that privilege, which we do. And Lot, probably wrongly, was not living with other believers, was he? And we do. We have our own community around us who can help and encourage. So Lot makes a a lot of flip-floppy decisions. He gets it wrong, but he did not have the resources that we have. And we need to make sure we use those, don't we? And help us not live like Lot. Well, there we are. We live in a godless society. There's no doubt about that. And what happened to Sodom will happen to our friends and our neighbours unless they find the Lord Jesus. So what happened to Sodom? It was destroyed for ignoring God. And ignoring God will end in destruction. What happened to Lot? Well, he was saved because he did trust. And what did he leave behind? Well, nothing. And what you leave behind and what I leave behind, well, that's up to us, isn't it? Let me just pray as we finish. Father God, thank you that all who call on your name will be saved. May each one of us do just that, perhaps this evening for the first time, but every day as well. Let us trust in Jesus. Help us to take your hand and walk with you in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.